Hey, hey, you're listening to the Produce Like a Boss podcast, where we are arming you with the tools that you need to become a six-figure producer. So if you're brand new here and you don't know me, hey, I'm Chris Bradley. I have built a six-figure production company from my home studio, recording and producing through multiple revenue streams, including sync licensing, beat licensing, custom songwriting, session work, and more. All right, let's do this. Well, welcome everybody to the Produce Like a Boss podcast. We are back after our winter Christmas hiatus. Uh, my name is Patrick Clark. I'm the brand manager here at Produce Like a Boss. I'm joined, of course, by the one and only Chris Bradley. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing, Patrick? I am, I'm so great. And I'm realizing we are both in new studios as we film this. Since the yes. last recording, we've had big moves. We've gone through the trials and tribulations of loading U-Haul vans and boxing <laughs> up all of our shoes. <laughs> <laughs> but your new studio is one. I know we have some audio listeners, but if you're watching on the on the on the YouTube, great new spot. The studio looks fantastic. It seems like you're really getting settled in and, and enjoying the new space. Thank you so much. I am. This is my favorite studio yet. So I'm pretty mm. I'm pretty pumped because I was a little bit sad to leave behind the new studio that I just built. But this feels even more cozy and like yeah. home. You know. So mm -hmm. thank you. Totally. No, it's, it's wonderful. I feel the same. You know, we finally have sort of space now my studio was sort of our guest room and then it was becoming guest room and mostly the studio but then we had people come and sleep over and you're like you get the fancy couch which yeah. wasn't very comfortable <laughs> but it was like it's aesthetic totally totally <laughs> so, well your space looks great too oh well thank you thank you so much so i i'm really excited to talk about this episode we've been talking about doing this theme for a long time and it's something you and i talk about a lot just privately and, and in our coaching call stuff uh, you know and Today's theme is money mindset. Mm. And as as I explore the world as an independent artist and I get to interact with a lot of musicians as you do too, the ideologies around money, the scarcity, the the perceptions about the industry, I think it's really askew. And I think it's on us to, to set the set it right. You and me are coming in to set the record straight on musicians' money mindset. So I can't wait to to dive in today on on this topic. And why don't we start with this? Because I would just like to know, you know, <clears throat> you and I went to ClickFunnels uh, Live, uh, Funnel Hacking Live, and we were talking a lot about this idea and how your perspective on money has changed. You know, you have been very open about going through periods of, you know, really having no money at all, being a starving artist, you know, sleeping in your car at one point to now building seven-figure companies, six-figure companies. I would just love to know, how do you think when you look at, you know, maybe the last 20 years of your life, how has your perception of money changed in terms of abundance, scarcity, that sort of idea, just for you personally? How has my perception of money changed? Well, firstly, I see um, now more so than ever that that money is just an exchange of value, right? It's just energy. And I think before I felt like, you know, as a, as an artist, you're kind of taught that you have to starve for your art as though making music and being creative, is it like the most magical, like most valuable skill that one could have? Right. But mm -hmm. I think that we're just taught that like, you know, oh, that's not for you. Right. And like the business mm -hmm. people have the money. They know how to make the money. You can only make the money if you have them, right? So I think the biggest yeah. thing that I kind of cracked the code on was, wait a second, all I have to do is learn how to provide value and then learn that that's an exchange for money, right? And then it can all stay right. in my hands. Does that make sense? It really, yeah, it really does. I love how you sort of express it in terms of energy 
in terms of it's sort of an exchange, but differently than we would think of it in sort of commerce. Because I think musicians, we just undervalue what we have to offer. Exactly. And we're taught to do that, right? Yeah. When you were really sort of in Nashville and, and prior, really kind of cracking the songwriting code, you know, was that something that you were struggling with? Because I know we've spoken about trying to get a publishing deal and looking for investors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, was do you think you were suffering from this idea of not really valuing your craft enough or maybe not understanding its value enough? Yeah, absolutely. And that goes back to that that mainstream narrative of like, if you don't make it big or if you're mm-hmm. not famous, right, mm-hmm. if you don't get a deal, then you're not successful. And so why wouldn't we think that? Why wouldn't we devalue? I'll tell you right now, it's so funny. And I just made a video about this and and posted it on Instagram. I remember the first time, and I was doing all this session work online as a demo singer. um, And the first time someone was like, hey, could I I pay you to to write to this track that I made? And I was used to people hiring me to sing vocals that already existed. Like, here's the lyric sheet. And I was like, wait a second. You want to pay me to write you want to pay me right. to write a song. And I, it was like hard for me to wrap my mind around it. Cause like here I am in Nashville writing up to three songs a day. And these songs mm-hmm. like, you know, they're killer. We're getting great feedback, but it's one of those things where you're one in like, you know, one in a million, if you will. Mm-hmm. And only mm-hmm. one person's going to get that cut that you're going for. And so it's really easy to go, well, if I didn't get the thing that I made the song for, well, then I fail. And that's not true. Right. Right. There was so much other value like coming back to value um, that not only the songs that we wrote had, right. But that the skills that we have um, possess as well. Right. And it, it really speaks to something you talk about a lot, which is worthiness um, yeah. in terms of musicians worthiness for, for sort of acquiring wealth and, and success outside of that mainstream lane, because we're kind of pigeonholed, right? If it, like you say, if that song that you wrote to get cut doesn't, yeah. then that song feels like it's lost the, you know, has no value to it. And I think that it really can stem from an internal thing of feeling worthy of like the thing I'm doing is making value. And, and I'd love to get your perspective on it. It's almost like starving artists is romanticized, right? It's like, if I'm really struggling for it, you know, that makes it worth it later. And I just, I don't know, I haven't unpacked enough of why that is, but what do you think about that starving artist sort of idea of why we sort of have reverence for it? Well, we talk about this a lot in uh, in Home Studio Boss especially, but it's like a lot of people equate um, hard work with value, right? That's what we're mm-hmm. talking like, oh, the harder you work, you know, the more valuable something is. And I always like to kind of go back to the bulldozer versus the shovel method. When you're building a pool in your backyard, you, you've got a couple different ways you can go about doing that, right? You can mm-hmm. grab a shovel which would be the hardest working thing, right? You just yeah. do it manually and it would take you like several days, right? Or weeks. Um, or you can grab a bulldozer and just kind of get in there and really start, you know, chunking away at it. And so the most valuable thing doesn't come from the hardest amount of work always. That's not to say that you shouldn't mm-hmm. work hard, but it's like, it's context, right? It's like, just because yeah. you work hard doesn't make something valuable. Just because something is easy, or I'm sorry, harder to achieve doesn't make it more valuable. In fact, the fact that we tell ourselves that keeps us stuck in this self-fulfilling prophecy of I must suffer to make money, right? right? I must suffer, this must be hard. It's like, you say it's so, so it is so. You know, so I think just going back to the whole like perspective on money thing, it's like, what if you said to yourself, I get paid to make my art because it's valuable. What if you change the narrative in your brain and started internally first, Mm -hmm. right? Because we do fulfill like what we tell ourselves. 
Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think it's it goes back to identity. It's what the story we tell ourselves about ourselves is sort of what you're going to live out. And, you know, I did the bar grind for a long time. I know you were heavily slinging, slinging songs in the bar grind. And there's there was sort of a pride I took in how exhausted it would make me. Mm-hmm. And, and like there would be money at the end of it. You know, if you did a big run of shows over the weekend and they give you cash and you come home with like, you know, all this wad of money, there is like... A reward to it but it was almost like if I was getting home at four in the morning it was like I really earned it yeah and that was hard to break out of especially as I started doing home studio stuff because it wasn't the same type of exhaustion <laughs> like wait or... a second it gets to be this easy like <laughs> yeah, I just there's tracked a, a vocal in my pajama <laughs> pants and made just as much money as a four-hour bar gig <laughs> right? right okay yeah. but I, that... I sorry I didn't mean to catch you off say, but... and that that, that's hard to wrap your head around. 100%. And I think I just want to kind of add another layer to that of what happens as well is I remember when I was doing these four-hour bar gigs and it's like, okay, if you think about that, let's say it's to $200, which is actually kind of normal. I wouldn't say that's mm-hmm. high pay for a four-hour bar gig, but it's pretty standard. Mm-hmm. A lot of people could argue, well, that's $50 an hour, right? You should be grateful for that. So let's talk about that for a second because mm-hmm. I think there's this tremendous amount of guilt not only that we place on ourselves, but that other people place on it where we go, it's this playing small where, oh, I should just be so lucky. Oh my God, I'm getting paid to play music. Like, oh no, I, I'll mm-hmm. take it. I'll take what I can get. Like, mm-hmm. let's just sit and observe that for a second. What kind of, if we're just talking about energy for a minute, what are you putting out energetically when you say, oh, I'll just take whatever. That's, that's like that's like saying, it reminds me of like Oliver, like, can I have some more, please? It's very <laughs> like, I'll take whatever I can get and I'll beg for it. And, and that doesn't feel good either. So it's kind of, I had to like stop listening to not only that voice of, oh, I should just be so grateful for this because you can have gratitude while still wanting more and still going, how can this get even better, right? And I also had to kind of shut out the outside voice of somebody who's like, man, you got paid $200 for a bar gig. You're so lucky. Like you should just be happy to have that. And it's like, mm. I was happy to have that when it served the purpose that it needed to serve, which was I wanted to stop bartending. I wanted to stop mm-hmm. driving for Uber. But at a certain point in my career, it became like, okay, how can I, how can we optimize? How can we scale? How can we grow? Right. right. How can we do this more That's... efficiently, more effectively? <laughs> Especially when you look at things that you're trading your time, like bar gigs. Exactly. Well, and not only that, that. you know, I threw my back out moving around my own PA after years (laughs) and years. So, you know, what somebody who's maybe in their their early 20s just getting started, like, yeah, absolutely go and do the grind. Sure. You know, but, Hmm. you know, you can work your way up and out of that. Yeah. And, you know, I wonder, I'm curious your take on this because particularly the grind nature of it, you know, so I went to music school and sort of went through traditional educational stuff. But when you, when you leave that, there's no job to apply for, right? Mm. There's no, there's no resume. So I personally, and I feel like I see a lot of musicians doing this. If I grind really hard, I'm justifying my career. Yep. So I was like looking for things that were harder mm-hmm. to sort of be like, look how hard I'm working. And I know, especially And a lot of people found this in the pandemic when we sort of lost work. It was like, how can I sort of validate that I'm going to make this career go through? And I think, again, that that comes back to a lot of mindset stuff about, yeah, how hard you're working to to earn that money. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, you know, it feels like there's just in the music industry in particular, a really big stigma around talking about money like record deals like all these numbers get really sort of hidden and it makes things sought after that we've learned now 
publishing deals and things. Not that there aren't great deals, but that really can be detrimental and really aren't what you think they're going to be. And we yeah. have, like you say yourself, songwriters in Nashville, all you want is that pub deal. Then people start getting them. You're like, well, that doesn't sound like I wanted to, you know, but people aren't really talking about those numbers really until I sort of discovered you and, and the way you sort of speak about it. And I'm just curious your thoughts on that stigma mm-hmm. and, you know, that, that mindset, particularly about sort mm-hmm. of coveting the information, mm-hmm. which is really hurting everyone. Mm-hmm. The first thing that just popped into my mind as you were saying that was vanity metrics, because it's kind of the same thing, right? It's like how many people are like, you know, oh, I just want to have like a million followers or 100,000 followers. And they don't really know what that's attached to. They just know that like that's what like looks good on paper. And like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, for me personally, when I wanted that deal, I had this vision of like posting that picture on Instagram with me sitting in the publisher's (laughs) office, like smiling next to my new publisher and signing it because I wanted everyone to know it validated me if I if I could share that. Right. Right. And then I came to find out, you know, as I met, you know, not to say that there aren't great deals out there. I'm of not course, like slamming no. them, but like I had I friends that had number ones mm-hmm. that had deals that weren't making fantastic money. Or if they got, they got a single, all of a sudden it went to pay back, you know, the pub deal. Right. Mm-hmm. And that were asking me how to do what I did. Cause at least the money I made, I was keeping right with all the work right. that I was doing. So it just comes back to like, you know, yeah, there's the reason that it's able to be as nebulous as it is, is because people aren't asking questions. They're going, yeah, okay, right. I should have a deal. Okay. It's like, nobody's talking about the fact that so many tours actually lose money, right? right. So many artists, <laughs> what is it? Like 97% of artists that get signed get shelved. That goes yeah. for that goes for lots of types of deals where you're just so happy to get someone to represent your music. And this is because you're mm. waiting sorry, it sounds a little harsh, but like you might be waiting to be rescued, right? You might be going, I'm just an artist. I'm not good at this stuff. Somebody else will take care of this stuff, which puts you in a very vulnerable position to have somebody come in and go, yeah, yeah, no, I'll take a cut of that if anything ever happens with it, but I'm just going to put it in my catalog and not really shop it at all. When you could have maybe stepped up to the plate a little bit, right? Taking control and said, I choose myself. I'm not going to be wait. I'm not going to wait to be chosen. Then you start when now you're in control of everything, asking the right questions like, okay, what is the what is the monetary result of this goal that I've just said that I want rather than who's going to come rescue me and don't worry it'll just work out in the end. Right, I think we're probably a little wired to not think about the money. Yeah. We're thinking about the art, right? So we're chasing the goal and we're not thinking about well is there money at the back end of it? And and I think that I've evolved that mindset a bit too, especially when I take on new projects. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like Let's think this through to the end of the line. You know, there's not that there's not value in doing something for fun, but if we're all in mind, like, hey, this is going to be a next, like a lucrative thing. Is it like, let's really explore that. And I I think we're guilty of not. Yeah. And I want to rewind here for a second because this is in no way to say that it's all about the money. Absolutely not. But Mm -hmm. money does allow you freedom to work on Mm -hmm. your art. Right. So we can't not talk about that. And we can't. Right. And let's not pretend that most people aren't assuming that when they make it, quote unquote, for people that are listening, I'm doing air quotes when they make it yeah. right, when they get that deal, that there is some large amount of money attached to it and that things are just going to work out. Often to find out right. once they've signed the deal, they don't get to leave their day job. Right. The money wasn't that lucrative. They lost money on the tour um, and things like that. So it's like it's one of those things that it's like, well, let's let's talk about that. And it's not to say, like, don't make great art. And and that's not to say don't put out art that you're not even going to monetize because you just love what you're doing. That's not why you're doing it. But there needs to be an understanding of it so that if that is a goal, you can attach like reasonable like expectation and and forward moving steps to it. 
right? Yeah. You said it so eloquently. It's, it's that um, people think that it's going to take care of itself. Exactly. Right? People have set these goals and I think the money is going to just work itself out. And I think that is the biggest eye opener. So it's not to say to forsake anything else. It's that we as artists just have this sort of, it's going to work itself out. And, and that can be true to a degree in, in things. But I think thinking through your actions, especially like you say, if we're going to work in the home studio space and monetize in these marketplaces, let that support your career so that you're coming in a place of strength to negotiate these these other relationships and, and deals that you do want to have, but you're not coming from a scarcity mindset. Exactly. And exactly. When we, talk, when we talk about that idea of like, you know, when I started working with Bruce like a boss and, and in this world, it was the first time people were candid about what money you could make and like what the real numbers were out there. And that was so eye opening because for me, it was really the example of breaking the four minute mile because someone else did it. Someone else who wasn't like Lady Gaga and you're like, well, you know, <laughs> it's like, hey, I'm a, I'm a boots on the ground musician like you. And here are some steps that you can make six figures. And I remember kind of leaving as I go into the other parts of my life with other musicians, I'm very open about these numbers now too, mostly to be like, just go do this. Like, let me shake you and go do this. Yeah. And sometimes it's met really openly. Sometimes I feel like I can feel people being a little uncomfortable by, you know, talking about these numbers because people have day jobs or, you know, people are sort of coveting those numbers to sort of, like you say, keep up this vanity. And I think that that stigma more than anything is what I think breaking helps everyone because you can sort of, if people can just speak candidly and it's not from a point of like arrogance or bragging, it's just about like service, like what P lab does. It only informs people to make better choices going forward. And I just think that's, I don't know if there's a question other than just praise of, I think, I think you're the first person I've seen in industry to really bring that information to light. And I think it's only, only helpful. Do you have any thoughts on sort of that approach? Cause I just feel it's so unique in the, in the industry. Yeah. I had like multiple thoughts as you were speaking. I was like, I don't want to cut them off. I don't want to cut them off. And then I kind of like drew a blank. But what it reminded me of was a, it was actually a conversation that I was having last night um, at a mm. party, which was just, you know, around just the idea that musicians, there's kind of a self-contradicting thing happening, right? Like how many times maybe we've done this where we go, oh, I like that band until they sold out. Right. <laughs> Right. And and I certainly don't do that anymore, but I remember doing that in the past. And it's like how many musicians are kind of cutting themselves off at at, at the knees, if you will, by saying things mm -hmm. like, you know, oh, like I don't want to sell out. But you how can you hold that value while also saying I want to make money at the same time with my with right. my music? Right. And so those yeah. two things cannot simultaneously exist. So I don't remember exactly what you said that prompted that in my mind, but I guess it was the idea of just breaking the stigma and like getting out of our our own way, um, removing right. that veil as well. You said something really great that I wanted to like, I wanted to grab it like as a quote, but it was like <laughs> something about, you know, demystifying like these vanity metrics, you know, um, mm -hmm. to stop saving face. Like it's, it's right. like, you know, it's like how many people are just so excited to be like, I got a deal. I got a deal. And it's like, okay, great. What does that right. mean? What's it mean? What does that yes. mean for you? And how is this going to forge your career? Because we can say it's not about the money. It's not about the money. But if you have to go and work 40, 50 hours a week at a job you hate, that leaves you less time to do your art. So yeah. it kind of is about the money, right? Because you, you in a perfect world, like you're able to do your art with as much freedom and as much energy as you could possibly have. So, I mean, my argument to somebody who says it's not about the money or I don't want to do this kind of work for hire session work or, you know, focus on selling, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, I would say, 
wouldn't it make more sense to have a plan B that supports your plan A rather than to be like, and then when I get off my, my day job, you know, um, yeah. then I'm going to make time for that music. You know, I, to- I totally agree. I was in a, in a call last night with a good friend of mine and we were sort of chatting about business, music business and stuff. And we were both sort of doing the indie artist thing. And we were actually talking about, I'm launching an album right now and I was breaking down the funnel that I'm using for it. And he was breaking down his funnel that he used and we were just going back and forth. And I sort of said, to him, I was like, we should do this like once a month. We should yeah. just like see what other people's, the fingers on the pulse, because, you know, when you look at like what we have to sort of portray, I understand there's a point to playing the game and posting on social media and, you know, no one wants to root for the person who's like, everything's terrible, but <laughs> the transparency that can exist um, only goes to serve musicians that are actually sort of like trying to level up because you're right. It's so great to post those vanity sort of titles and, and these, mm-hmm. these sort of announcements, but I think it's actually doing a disservice to musicians that you know, are striving for the wrong thing ultimately. Right. And, and once you cross that threshold, like that top 1%, it's like the gates kind of close and no one's talking about it anymore. And you just assume everything's great. And there's this whole sort of middle echelon of musicians that are climbing that I think, you know, doing what, what we do in P lab and talking about numbers candidly. And I think that is the only sort of And that spectrum too, that we've talked about where it's like, you know, Mm -hmm. it like even just the ability from a simple home studio with like, you know, like begin by just tracking vocals. You don't have to be a producer to be a home studio boss. It's true. You know, (laughs) like I started off doing session work and my demos were frankly very crappy when I first started. So I wasn't making money off of that. But while I was working on that skill, people loved hiring me for singing and and songwriting and stuff like that. Right. So it's like, you know, really just removing the veil of like, you know, like I feel like there's all this like in between stuff that like needs, like people need to know about, they need to be taking action on because, you know, the, to circle back around to like that identity aspect that there is mm-hmm. like, and maybe I'm, I'm just going to speak for myself. And I think some, yeah. I'll, I'm going to invite whoever relates to relate, but it's like, <laughs> there is nothing like the feeling of being able to make money with your music when you, especially like the first time you get paid to like do music as a service. It's, it, there's a feeling of confidence where it's like when someone goes, what do you do? And you go, Oh, I'm a musician. Well, what do you do for money? No, no, no. I'm a professional musician. Like I do this for a living. I, I work from my home studio. Yeah. You're going to get a lot of people that look at you and they're like, I don't, get it but they are you're yeah. also going to get a lot of people that are going to be like that is the coolest thing ever you know and then <laughs> they you kind of open their mind because uh, most people have the whole starving artist kind of narrative in their brain right so mm-hmm. just to be able to do that is such a confidence boost i'll tell you what even though a good majority of the work i've done has been custom work it has been work for hire it has been mm-hmm. stuff that is not attached to me as an artist i grew as an artist because I used it as a yes. tool because of the confidence boost that it gave me and the time freedom that it gave me to be able to monetize something that I was already, that I loved, right? Right. Something I was good at, I something lo- that I loved and something that built a chop in me. So yeah, maybe someone hired me to sing a song that I wasn't like crazy about, but was I sitting there busting my, like my chop, yeah, not busting my chops, uh, working on my ch- my chops, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Working Wood on shedding. my chops, sharp, thank you. I was trying to say like two things at once, <laughs> sharpening the ax essentially and getting paid for it. And then I turn around when I'm done working for that client and go, oh my God, I just learned this new thing. I, you know, and now I get to apply that to my artist project. Like, to me, that yeah. is the best win-win ever. It's amazing how it informs your confidence in, in terms of, 
you know, your identity as a musician, especially like the cocktail party scenario. Yeah. Like you say, when you sort of say I'm a musician and then I did feel, you know, before I sort of found the success I found in my home studio, I was really trying to defend that I was a musician to people because I didn't make any money. Yeah. Right. And now, and not that I like tell them how much money I make in these cocktail conversations, but I don't feel the need to defend it. Like it doesn't bother me if they believe me anymore. And before it was almost (laughs) like, I didn't really believe me. It's like, well, are you? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And that's interesting how that sort of financial piece informs us, like you say, the other parts of your artistry. Yeah. So... The, the, what I'd love to close on here, because we've sort of talked about the journey of the starving artist and then exploring that and how that's rooted with your worthiness, rooted in your identity and the value that you place on your art. And that's sort of what you need to break through to start thriving in the industry. And when I think about people that come into our space, like myself as a student, producing a boss coming in sort of really bare bones studio, learning the chops to then, you know, building a six figure company, there's the back end of becoming sort of a thriving artist that I'd love to get your take on because I think everyone's chasing this sort of windfall, right? This sort of exponential graph growth of when I sort of hit it big, all my problems get solved. Yeah. And I think you can speak on this in two ways. One as as an artist, but then also with Produce Like a Boss and its rapid growth and how quickly it sort of started to extend. I'd just love to know what kind of state were you in when you sort of pivoted because it was such a quick pivot to starving artist bartender to now you know six-figure producer seven-figure business owner and i just love to touch on i say this thing all the time there's nothing scarier than your dreams coming true yeah and there's almost like i just would like to explore that other end of the spectrum because there's so much mindset stuff you need to do in that space too to sort of keep your feet on the ground keep success coming in stay in an abundance mindset so Mm. i would just love to know your headspace, when things really started to kind of blow up in that first year of P-Lab, what was going through your mind? How were you tackling the success that was kind of coming at you faster than you could you could imagine? I feel like we need a whole ep- podcast episode for that <laughs> <Only> <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just going to kind of walk through the journey as it's coming yeah. to me. Yeah, please. So as I was scaling up towards six figures as a producer... I still had it in my mind. Everything was all about me and the success that I could get for myself. You know, I've Mm. lived a good majority of my life in survival mode, not only because I was a musician and it's, you know, was hard to build a career, right? But also because just being kicked out at 15 years old, it's like I've been in that hustle mode for a long time where everything was like, how can I make enough to survive? And in that hustle, like, how can I grind? How can I grind? So as I was, you know, coming up on, you know, six figures, I remember sitting in the studio with a friend one day and we were working on tracks like all day, like eight hours, like only stopping to eat and maybe like hang out with his family for a minute. And then we'd go back and work. And I was thinking to myself like, man, this is the life, you know, I was at around six figures. He was at multiple six figures, kind of like a mentor figure to me. You could say we're just, we're friends too though. And I was thinking like, that's the best dream I could possibly have is to go multiple six figures and to essentially be working all day. Right, right. Like that, I always say musicians are the only people you can sell a job to, right? Because we're just so happy (laughs) to be able to get paid to do what we love. But something that some, like a very, like a, a, I guess a spiritual teacher that I met in Nashville said something to me that really, and this was right as Produce Like a Boss was starting. And Mm -hmm. he called it out very intuitively without even knowing my story. He said, you know, you've lived your life in survival, always going, how can I get rescued? How can I, how can I? how can I make it like, like, how can I survive? You know, how can I make enough mm-hmm, money mm-hmm. to live? And he goes, you need to expand to where when things are going really good, 
right? Instead of being, you don't need to wait for the bathroom floor moment, right? Where things mm-hmm. are terrible. But like when things are good <laughs> and you're in that abundant mindset and that abundant energy, start going, how can things get better? And he goes, you're going right. to feel weird because you're going to feel ungrateful because when things are good, typically you want to go, oh, thank you so much. I'm just so happy for what I have, right? And he yes, goes, yes. I need you to stop doing that. You'll never get to the next level. And it reminds me, you'll see memes and hear entrepreneurs talk about this. Like you can, you can hustle your way to six figures. You can hustle your way to seven figures, right? But you cannot hustle your way beyond that because we are humans, right? You, there's only so many hours in the day. So right. the, the context of the story is important because when he told me that, I, I listened. And so things were going well and things are going well. And then I said, okay, I'm not like trying to make enough money to live here. Like I'm doing good. So I started mm-hmm. getting in my med, you know, meditation and, and visualization, whatever you want to call it, my intention. I mm-hmm. said, how can this get better? Yeah. Right? Oh, my. And not only did Produce Like a Boss take off exponentially, and I can look at this through two different lenses. One is obviously the tremendous financial success of the company hitting seven figures in, in, in two years, which is yeah. amazing, right? <laughs> of course, that's a beautiful thing. And mostly through passive income, meaning I did the heavy work. I did the grind. I made the courses. It's not to say that I still didn't work hard, but those now can essentially continue to make right. money while I can go and build and serve in other ways, right? So it's, it, it's I can, you know, for lack of better words, make money in my sleep. But the yeah. other side of that is I slip, I, I transitioned out of this, how can I get to how can I give? And the reward that I started getting no longer was my own sync placements or making money with my own clients. It was like, now all of a sudden someone's like, oh my God, Chris, you taught me this thing. And now I've been able to do that, whether it's produce my own song, get my music into film and TV, get my own clients. You know, I have people DMing me all the, Chris, I just hit my first six figures and I'm going, yeah. that feeling? Like, <laughs> and then I'm like, I realized now that I thought the best thing that I could ever have was multiple six figures working 12 hours a day you know, doing, trading my time for money. And now it's like, I'm in a place where not only um, can I make money with a little bit less of that consistent effort of trying to trade my time for money, because I know now how to make Mm -hmm. digital products, which are passive Mm -hmm. income, but the impact and the fulfillment of helping others is, that's how it got better to answer that question that I asked the universe. (laughs) How can this get better? No idea. In my, like, like I said, and not to be redundant, but like in a perfect world, like I had all the sync placements, I had all the success. Yes. Working 12 hours a day and making multiple six figures. And then look at what, when I just let that go. Yeah. That's how it got better. (laughs) So there's so many wonderful. Yeah. There's so much gold in that. What I think is, which is great. We sort of unpacked two kind of concepts, I think, from my eyes here. The beginner, the sort of starving artist, if you're in that right now, this idea that you need to reshape how you think about your worthiness for earning and the value that you bring with your art, right? I think that's a big hurdle you have to overcome. And then this other idea that if you're scaling, if you're in the process of it, Brendan Burchard says something really wonderful in his book, High Performance Habits, very similar about being a satisfied striver, that it's Mm. not, right? You're getting out of this idea of like, oh, this is just enough. Like, I'm not going to, I don't want to ask for more. And really that abundance mindset, like you say, I love this and how can we, how can it get better? That's sort of the way to scale past where you're at. And I think those two concepts, wherever you're falling right now, listening to this, I think both of those will serve you tremendously. And I know for myself, that's something I brought to you, Chris. I remember in July over the summer, right when sort of the big boom was happening and I was losing my mind. I was like drowning in work because I was juggling like seven jobs, you know, in terms of artistry, performing, everything. It was like this flood. And that's what we sort of spoke about was this idea of like, 
you're really coming at this of like, I can't say no to anything. I'm so grateful for this work. What do I do? And you need to reframe it as like, I love this. How can it get better? And for me, that was paring back some stuff to allow other stuff to grow more successfully. But it was having to say no to some things that were keeping me very, very busy and, and making money. But that, that problem, I was stuck in that, like, I was trying to be too grateful in a way, right? Like, right, right. I think that that concept you just say, it's like, you can have gratitude and look to the future. Right. That concept, you know, changed the game for me and I think will serve everyone listening. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what's just one thing to make sure that I touch on is like honor every step of the way, every step mm. of the way. So it's like, you know, when I didn't have like a full built, like I didn't have a lot of jobs coming in. Like I, yeah, I'm like really grateful for that job. And, and I just want the next one. And if I can just get three clients this week, like that's okay. You know, but it, it just does get yeah. to a point now where if you're looking at, okay, I've got 10 songs I have to do by Tuesday. And each of those songs is going to pay me a hundred dollars. That's a thousand dollars. That's great. Oh, that's really exciting. But how could that get better? You could get $1,000 client <laughs> and have one job to do. <laughs> so it's like, there's right. always a next level while honoring mm-hmm. the level that you're at. You know, most likely if you're just getting started, you're probably not going to have a thousand dollar client. So it's like also right. understanding where you're at in that journey and honoring it every step of the way, always going, I'm ready for the, I'm ready to level up. Yeah. And for, for us too, to understand that leveling up isn't always going to mean getting that next opportunity. It's going to mean leveling up our skills to become the type of person that is capable of getting that opportunity so that you do get a thousand dollar client, right? So we're always oh learning. We're always growing. We're always leveling up because if we don't get it through the win of getting the thousand dollar client. We get it through the experience of a bunch of hundred dollar clients uh, till we yes. become the person that gets a thousand dollar client. Boom. Yes. I just uh, boomed my own self there. Yeah, no, you should. That was um, <laughs> that was it, right? It's it's informing yourself to become the person you need to be exactly. for the next level of service. 100%. And I think we do that in the P Lab world. That's like what we preach all the time. And I, I see it in action. I'm living it daily. Yeah. And it's just what a you know, what a wonderful ride. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good spot to wrap up because I think we've done the whole spectrum of journey. I've been wanting to talk to you about money mindset for like a year now. So I'm so glad we got the chance to do that. Yeah. And why don't we just let some people a little plug because if this is something that people are wanting to learn a little bit more about, they can book a call with us and we can talk to them about how we use this system of a simple home studio to scale to six figures. And uh, it's no pressure, but if you want to talk to us a little bit more, we can do that. And what's the link that people can, uh, we'll put it in the description. Yeah. Um, but if they want to book a call, what, where can they go to to talk to us? We had a pretty link now. It's producedlikeaboss.com slash call. <laughs> oh, couldn't be easier. And uh, you can book a call and just speak with us and we'll talk to you about your, you know, where you're at in your business and how we can help you take it to the next level. Because this is good, but how could it get better is uh, sort of what we're all about here. So why don't we leave the episode with that? Thank you guys so much for listening and uh, thank you for hanging with us through the hiatus. We are back now and we've got a bunch more episodes rolling out that I can't wait for, for you guys to hear. So we'll leave it there. And we'll talk to you guys soon. See you guys. As always, I'm going to take us out with one of my songs. I did this in partnership with my side project, Side Trip, and it's called Break Me Down. <laughs> <laughs>